This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything you should know about Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's Second Mission Foundation, all one word, dot org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. If you haven't been there yet, check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. As you guys may know, um, when I book this show, I generally look for guests that either bring the Havoc or the Journal part to the interviews, can speak to one or the other. In some cases, they speak to both, as was the case with my guest this week, Scott Chapman. Scott also has the advantage of having been writing for Havoc Journal. Several of his articles have gone viral, uh, especially those in his Written in Taliban series that he co-authored with Matt Griffin of Combat Flip-Flops. <clears throat> like Scott, a former ranger. Um, Scott was a ranger. He worked for the CIA as a contractor, and then he's been in the security profession for you know 20 years. Well, I guess less than 20 years because, well, about 20 years, I guess. I don't know. My math might be a little off. Anyway, point being, a long time, and obviously a very active time. But, and that's all, you know, we've had guests with very accomplished resumes, guests have seen an awful lot, you know, that's cool. That's kind of par for the course if you're coming on this show. What's interesting about Scott, I found, was the almost evangelical nature of his beliefs. And what I mean by that is that like most people that go through a lot of stressful experiences, significant emotional events, there is a degree and a high degree, I would say, of experiential wisdom that you get. There is an awful lot of accumulated um, intelligence. And I'm taking that with a very broad definition. Uh, that you pull away, uh, intelligence about different subject matters, intelligence about <clears throat> being able to assess situations, assess threat, threats, assess um, geopolitics in a certain light. And I think that's what Scott is talking about when he coined the phrase stress-induced enlightenment, which I think is a fucking great phrase that I plan to steal often. I won't steal it. I'll credit him. But it's a great phrase because I think that's what every veteran strives for. And, and should strive for, um, because it's a natural second-order effect of their service. 
it presumes that you are going to get to an enlightened state and not simply stay in the soup where everything's confusing and there's a lot of flotsam and jetsam. <clears throat> but achieving that degree of enlightenment that has come as by virtue of whatever has enhanced this heightened degree of stress that you've lived under is, I think, very a very worthwhile gain in a veteran's life. In Scott's case, though, <clears throat> the reason I say that he's become evangelical, and that's my way of putting it, about what he has learned is that he does proselytize it um, incessantly in his work and verbally. Now, I'm not telling tales out of school. I mean, Scott told me ahead of time, he's like, look, I write better than I talk. And I don't think that's totally fair. I think he talks great. Um, <laughs> my, my biggest takeaway is you sit next to Scott at a dinner party, you're going to get a 45-minute lecture about the sun or electricity or quantum physics. That's just the kind of guy he is. He doesn't strike me as one that's big on small talk. And that's okay. We're not a small talk show. So that works fine. But what's interesting to me is how he has feathered this acute fascination with science into all aspects of his writing and his life. And in that respect, this fixation on science, mathematics, astronomy, has transcended for him just the physical. It has become almost metaphysical. It's almost a spiritual journey and something that he looks for the opportunities to talk about. So I say that because get ready. I mean, we're going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, it's, you know, we, I, I was willing to have one where we really talked about conspiracy theories too, because Scott's talked about some stuff and we start off the episode mentioning Epstein and all that. Um, and that's fine. The conversation doesn't really totally go there. Um, but it's, it, but again, I think that's all, that's all um, in play because when you're looking at it, when you're looking at different events, and I don't mean to demean some of these things by calling them conspiracy theories. I mean, theories about conspiracies. Some of them might have validity and some of them might not. That's, you know, this is cause for speculation. Um, but what's interesting is to funnel that through the prism of this stress-induced, or stress-enhanced, I should say, enlightenment. Well, it is stress-induced as well. Um, so it's, it's an interesting conversation with an interesting hyperactive mind. Um, now there is a caveat. We did have to edit substantially because at one point we do get into some stuff, uh, that is, that we want to talk about because it's teeing up an episode that Scott or an episode, an article that Scott has coming out soon on havoc. And, um, I, I did have to edit a bunch of stuff out, uh, with Scott's permission. It, it, it was just stuff that, um, I think it's wiser to keep a lot of that stuff off air. Um, and Scott agreed with me, um, you know, that there were just, it, there were issues about, uh, what's the best way I can say this? There are things that get very fuzzy, lines that get crossed. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's just complicated subject matter. Um, be, with some of the humanitarian work he's been up to in Afghanistan. So um, a lot of that we edit out. Um, <clears throat> so you'll hear me talk through that uh, when we hit that point in the episode. But, you know, Scott's got a growing number of fans 
uh, for the viral content he's put out through Havoc. And I think you all deserve to hear uh, the method behind the madness. You deserve to know the man behind the words and, um, you know, be able to hear him in his own words and hear where his head's at and why he's writing about what he's writing about. Um, you know, he comes to this conversation with just a wealth of experience and um, an incredibly intricate, interesting mind. Okay, do I have anything else I need to tee up for you guys? I don't think I do. So on that note, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Scott Chapman's Profile in Havoc. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, it's been a minute coming, man. I'm glad we could do this. You've been busy. You, where are I you have been busy. Um, I, I live in a Northeast Florida. Okay. Not my house. So yeah. you're back home. I, I am back home. Correct. Yeah. Because uh, I know for, you're out of the, the border, right? For a little while. I was. Yeah. So I do, um, I, for my full-time job, I do contract uh, stateside security work. Um, consulting, and um, it, I, I've, I've been doing that for the past maybe three and a half years, and uh, it's exciting stuff. It's really exciting stuff. It's put me in, in some unique positions all around the country. I try and stay within the United States because I'm tired of going overseas, um, but it's put me in some in some unique positions, to, you know, just unique times in American history. Um, how much do you, how much do you have uh, is Trying to think of the best way to say this. How much do you have a problem with knowing more than sometimes you're easily able to communicate? They sometimes, and I want to talk about this a lot more with you, but especially when you're talking about all the rarefied air that you've inhabited, how difficult is it sometimes to go, oh God, I can't really talk about this right now, but people should fucking know about this. <laughs> right, right. That's, absolutely. And that's the challenge as an author is how do I convey this important message or these important connections that I've been able to establish or connect how do i do that in, to a reader one to hold their attention and and two to make the story interesting to make it you know artful and and that i i see as a challenge to me is it's, it's just fun it's fun to do and i i think i i think i'm 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 good at it i'm a pretty humble person um but the feedback i've received from readers has been um humbling uh, to say the least um, it's it's been pretty exciting to see how my words have really, really come to life. Do you have any desire to stray outside of something based in nonfiction? Would you ever do a purely fictional work, or would, does it always have to have ties to geopolitics, current events, etc.? Uh, uh, good question. Um, well, I think I mean, there's nothing more interesting than what's happening right now in, in American mm -hmm. culture. Right? It's it's absolutely so yeah. fascinating. Um, what a unique time in American history. Uh, so, like for example, I was I spent six months in in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, working about a mile from George Floyd Square, um, and a mile in the other direction was the courthouse where Derek Chauvin was being tried. Wow. Right. So I, yeah. I was there, ground zero, yeah. for six months working armed security at a private facility, um, and we were running the roads all night. Like what a what a, it was a surreal time in American history. So I don't think I can write anything as as surreal as that experience right it's so, just it's just it's fat it's fascinating it, it, it totally is and i want to get into as much of this as we can and i'm 
Right. I, I'm here for I'm here for all of it. I mean, we'll do as much as we possibly can because I've got so many questions. But I want to start by just kind of framing how I see your work, and it's your own phrase. Um, you talked about celebrating stress enhanced enlightenment. Man, I love that fucking phrase. What a so great phrase! Uh, <laughs> did right. you coin that? Did you come up with that? I did. Yes, sir. I did. That's a, such I, a great I, phrase. I, I think I did it first. I, I typically don't research um, quotes that I that I write that I think are prominent or poignant because I, I don't want to be. Um, I, I want to be the first one to say it. I want to have the original thought. So if I if I write something, I don't want to research it later and find out someone else wrote it because <laughs> right. it is my thought to it me originally. To you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So what I love about it is that that pings on I think what every veteran aspires to, and I think that's what leads to so many of the no shit there I was stories or drunk guys at the end of the bar. You know, it's because you want to go. Hey, there's a lot of stress, and now I have reaped enlightenment or some degree of enlightenment from that. And that's awesome, but few people, few veterans even, can match the breadth and depth of experience that you've brought to your writing. And I say that because not only the military experience, but even up until and including these latest experiences stateside that are incredibly rich. Let's start at the beginning with this. You joined the military a month before 9-11, right? I arrived at uh, my unit, uh, Second Rangers, a oh, month before 9 11. You arrived. Okay. Yep. Uh, but yep. so, having it, what brought you to enlist in the military before war had outright broken out? Uh, so, I, I, I graduated college and then I enlisted in the Army. Um, I, I did a little backwards. Most folks don't do that. Um, it was my intention. I, I, I sought to be some sort of federal agent, some sort of federal law enforcement agent. Uh, they typically don't hire straight out of college. You have to have some kind of professional experience before you can even apply. So, uh, some some guys do it, you know, through law enforcement. Um, I figured military, right? And if I was going to join the army, I figured I might as well join the toughest, badass, you know, thing the army has to offer. Because if I'm going to do it, I don't want to be a, you know, you know, a, a mechanic or a cook. Right, I want right. to be the toughest, toughest thing there is. What federal so, agency did you want to join? Um, I. Um, I was thinking actually, uh, maybe the FBI or the DEA. Okay. Um, um, but I, I quickly realized that they have a pretty rigorous, um, a life, a home life schedule. Um, you know, when I was with the Rangers, I deployed five times in, in those four years, you know, five times the conflict zones of four years. And when I got out, I, you know, I, I needed a break. So, to try and go from you know from the military of that, that high op tempo to another high op tempo, it, it wasn't it wasn't right fit for me. Need, need a little break, um, and then I you know I quickly realized my life goals are vastly different than that that previous life. Was there a part of you that was always intrigued with the overseas life, foreign travel, going into the military, and then ending up going to um, you know, OGA, did you, did, was there a part of you that always twigged to that? Or was this something you learned by being in the military and deploying to Afghanistan and Iraq with uh, Second Ranger Bat? This, so I often say that I've, um, I, I feel like I'm treading water in a hurricane, right? Mm. Ever since 9 11, since that moment, that day, my life has been on a treadmill. I, I've, I've been treading water 
constantly keeping up the water just coming up to my mouth or keep my head above water. It's a constant effort to stay in front of the tsunami. Um, it's a, it's an, and I, I didn't make a conscious effort to spend my life in the security industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just sort of found myself here because I'm, I'm good at it. Um, so it, it wasn't an effort to, to, you know, live this particular kind of lifestyle. It's just that I, I can't get away from it. Um, you know, for, for one, it's you know golden handcuffs, right? It's yeah. it's, a, it's such an yeah. exciting lifestyle. It's so yeah. exciting that the pay is great. I get weeks or months off where I can you know live my life the way I want to live it, and then work for a few months. And you know, you know, so that that in itself is is golden handcuffs, right? How do you step away from that right. to clock in and clock out nine to five? So I'm able to do these these interesting jobs, or you know, just travel around the world, or travel and do these interesting things. And I never realized how strange my life was until I got out of that, until I stopped to take a look around to see my peers, you know, my, I'm 45 years old, to see my peers who are 45 and, and what they're up to and what they're doing, you know, civilian sector, um, you know, not to discredit anything about their um, interesting lives, right? But I didn't realize how strange my life was until I started to write about it. Um, and I, I found a way to connect with readers to to bring them into my into my crazy world um crazy crazy is relative um really bring them into my surreal life right i didn't really and and really this this post-afghanistan humanitarian effort that we're going to talk about isn't even the craziest thing i've been part of i mean i've been part of some wild things that i've just sort of found myself just um you know stumbling into or it it comes to me right and yeah. it's like, hey, hey, why not? Let me just push this button and see what happens and then see where the story goes, right? Because as, as an author, and I'm realizing this more and more as I refine my, um, my, my art, my skill, is I'm directing my own story, right? I'm writing about my life. Yeah. So if I'm going to write about my life, well, why not make it interesting? Mm. Because who's going to make my life interesting but me? So I'll do things or say things or push buttons to that. Eh, fuck it. Let's see what happens. Let's see if I do this. Let's see if I publish this. See what happens. Right. Let me stir the pot. So it's, 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 it's fun to do. I want to get into, um, a, I want to level set and set the table here with a bunch of biographical details, but I just want to, before I do that, I want to pick up on one thing you said. Um, <clears throat> When it comes to pushing buttons, when it comes to writing about a very adventurous life, I'm gonna I'm gonna comment in, and try to search for a question because it's something I've thought about a lot recently. There seems to be, I compared to like walking through a museum. There's certain guys that have walked through the museum a lot and in depth. I've seen all the paintings, all the artwork. But they haven't had a tour guide, so it comes out in the analysis part of it kind of is lacking because there's a lot of experiential knowledge, but there isn't necessarily analytical capability to look and go, hey, what did I just see? Oh, that was the Mona Lisa. Oh, okay. Well, I just saw a chick in a painting, and I saw it a lot, but that's all I saw, right? Um, And in your case, for someone who is still actively, let's say, walking through the museum, do you find it easy to step back and analyze, do you feel like you have, um, you've achieved kind of a, a perspective in this high op tempo, 
where you're still able to look and assess and evaluate things while still being in the game and without the benefit, let's say, of hindsight or you know, looking at things from a cushy distance. How do you how do you reconcile those two? Where do you, how do you feel you are at analysis and evaluation? Oh, great, uh, great question. Uh, so the answer is a little bit of both. Yes. Uh, so so when I'm in, uh, you know, when I'm for example, when I was in Minneapolis for six months, I, I I would post things on Instagram as I would have thoughts. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I use my Instagram as sort of as as a rough draft storage yard, where I don't have time to sit and write a long lengthy article or a long, you know, thoughtful perspective is I have a thought and I need to put it out there. I need to hold it somewhere. So mm-hmm. I, I put it, I put it on my Instagram. So if people keep up with my Instagram, they can see the thought process of the, the coming article. Wow. Right. So one thing also is um, I, I write about this in, I forget which art, I think uh, write my way to freedom. Um, I, I say it's a healthy dose of disassociation where I, I'm a third party observer in my life, right? I, I'm able to, because of my industry, that the security industry, uh, security, we're always part of the party, but we're never in the party, right? Yeah. We're always there, but we're never yeah. there, yeah. right? So we're always outsiders. I've always been an outsider. I'm always on the outside you know, you know, looking in at the people right, you know, providing security, mm-hmm. right? So as an observer, right, as a trained observer, you know, through my profession, I, I pick up on details everywhere, right? And it's those details I also write about. So I can disassociate from my, my current, you know, my, my, my current, um, you know, three-dimensional perspective and, you know, step outside myself and view what I'm up to or my, my actions, right? Everything that I do every every word that I say every you know every minute you know body language gesture it's all deliberate right because I I can see myself so I'm I'm directing my own directing my own story right um so it's it's through writing however once I'm finally let's say in my office and and behind my keyboard and I can sort of collect my thoughts um Writing is a tremendous tool to analyze your own actions, yeah. Because you're, you're yeah. forcing yourself, right? The author, who you know, myself or anyone, you're forcing yourself to describe your actions, right, and how you felt while you're doing said thing, right. So sometimes I'll write something and then read it to understand more about myself. Yeah. Like, oh, that's why I did that thing. Oh, I I know this new thing about myself, so maybe I won't do that anymore. Right. Or this is a learning experience. Right. And, and I learned that actually through um, uh, Power, Power of Positive Thought. Um, it was my, actually my, my debut article with the Havoc Journal. Right. After I read that, I really had to take a step back from myself and then mm. realize I felt like an energy vampire. Like that's mm. what it felt like. So it could be viewed from one perspective as, well, this guy is just absorbing positive energy from people. Right, this guy is using people. Right, that's how I felt afterwards. Right, but then after you know a lot of thought, I realized, well, no, I'm not taking it from them. I'm just piggybacking off of their energy. Right, gotcha. so gotcha. so I so I use that. I use my own writing to analyze my own self. 
Is that the root cause of why you started writing? Was it de facto therapy analysis, or was it the need to communicate things to people, or was it writing just to understand? Go, hey, there's a lot of experiences in my life. I need to understand them better. Let me sit down and start writing. What was the root cause of it? Uh, root cause, um, great question. Uh, so, I, I've been told throughout my life I, I was I was a good writer, um, but I think I've developed my writing my writing skill through, um, through, through, through various ways throughout my life. Um, so that's the buildup to, to answer the question. Uh, so, so the buildup is, um, through a lifetime of observation, lifetime of struggle, lifetime of unique experiences have together shaped how I form sentences and, and, you know, and, and convey thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was, there was a moment. Um, in fact, um, uh, 2019, um, 2019, I was navigating some high stress life events, um, multiple high stress life events. Um, like I said, my, I, I feel like I've been treading water in hurricanes since nine 11. Um, and that, that water was up to my mouth and I was, I was gasping for air. Um, so I, I, I wanted to go dark and disappear. Uh, 2019, I, I was fed up, um, just fed up with everything. Um, just, just, I was done with, with the world. So I wanted to go dark and disappear. I was, I, I planned this two or three year motorcycle trip and I was just going to go dark and, and, you know, reemerge after I caught my breath. Well, I, I drastically needed different results in my life, drastic results. So in order to get different results, you had to do something different, right? So I, 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 I started an experiment. So instead of going dark and disappearing, I, I did the exact opposite. I, I shined a spotlight into my, my life. Mm-hmm. So I, I kept a real-time public journal um, uh, on this motorcycle form called ADV Rider. And my goal was to write about the sights and experiences along this you know, round-the-world motorcycle trip while also peppering in uh, stories that shouldn't be forgotten, uh, stories about my life, my unique life, my crazy life, my unkempt life is what I you know, call it, you know, uh, stories that shouldn't be forgotten about past, you know, past friends or absent friends, yeah. um, or, or the reason why I was, I was going on this, this crazy motorcycle trip. Um, so I, I began to write this, this real-time public journal and just, just pouring myself into, you know, into this journal. And um, the, the, the comment section um, really um, fueled my desire to you know, want to write more. And, it's, you know, some veterans in the, in, the, in, the, in the group, you know, would message me privately and they would tell me that they've printed my words to bring to their therapist because I was more accurately able to describe how they feel yeah. than they're able to do themselves. Right. And to me, that's, you know, that, that still to this day gives me goosebumps. Right. So, I mean, what a tremendous asset, yeah. you, know, you know, to, to, to be able to provide to somebody, right. When people are so, um, they're so cluttered, right. Upstairs that they can't form the proper sentences to convey exactly what they need. And then all of a sudden here are these three sentences that say what I need exactly. Right. So, so that was, um, that was a moment where I realized, well, maybe there's something to this. Right. Mm-hmm. I have a, I have a unique way to tell a story, um, and I've developed it through, you know, th- through through multiple different ways, 
Um, like, for example, here's here's one thing that I have yet to talk about to anyone. Um, so all through high school and all through college, I took art classes, right? I had no aspirations of being a painter or sculptor or, or any other kind of artist, um, but I just enjoyed art history. I enjoyed you know, art appreciation. Mm. I enjoyed learning about it, right? So the there's um, something called the elements of art and principles of design, right? Um, like line, color, form, texture, space, balance, rhythm, like uh, this whole list of things, attributes that that make um, you know make art um, beautiful or that that de- define what makes art beautiful, right? Tangible art, like a sculpture or a painting, yeah. right? Well, those same elements of art and principles of design, I incorporate into my written words because you're your the, the reader's mind is my canvas is my blank canvas right so i i use balance right i use rhythm i i i, I use texture through my words even how my paragraphs are the way they look i want them to look aesthetically pleasing right mm-hmm. well, i'll use words that are aesthetically pleasing for the for the for the paragraph so it's not just about what you read it, it, it's you know i always say that my art or my my words are supposed to be read out loud because there's a cadence and there's a rhythm to them that I think is is lost on some readers, right? So there's there, there's depth and all of it is by design, right? And I think it's interesting because if if balance and rhythm and texture make a, a, a sculpture beautiful, well, why wouldn't it make my written words beautiful, right? It's you know the human brain still sees the same thing, right? It's still appeasing to the human brain, so I, I use that that same perspective to appease the human brain through my written words as well. How much time do you spend on that, on that visual aesthetic of um, word? It, it, it's a process. Is it? Um, yeah. it it's, it's a long process. Um, it's a long process. Uh, sometimes it, it, it just flows out of me. Um, I, and really this is the way I think that this isn't, this isn't, uh, an effort like pulling, you know, you know, you know, pulling hairs out, or you know, this isn't a, a, a struggle to write these things. This is how I think, right? I, I think in terms of poetry, right? I think in terms of stories, right? So, okay, how is this story? Where do I want this story to go? So, I'll do things to say things to write the story in my head ahead of time. Then, when it comes down to be on my computer, the story's already written. I just need to punch it out. Um, but to get to get it there, do you find that? I mean, especially because this is—I've never heard any writer talk about it the way you just did. I think it's so interesting. But I do wonder, like, where does that fit into the process for you? Because you're usually starting with the germ of an idea that comes from something based very much in reality that clearly you've given some thought to, but then to make it rhyme, or to make the words look a certain way, or the format to unspool a certain way. Are those overlays? Are those things that you bring to it after your two, three drafts in, or is that something? Is that just naturally the way it lays out when you first type it in that first draft? Uh, there, there's a bit of both. There, there's yeah. a bit of both. So there is. Um, I, I think there's a depth to my writing that I don't think readers have yet to plumb. And for example, so um, power of positive thought. My, my, my debut article. If you read it again, you'll notice I, I 
there's a heavy, heavy use of water references, wave references throughout the entire the entire piece. Um, you know, I, I use words like deluge or waves, right? So I, it's a constant, constant reminder of waves and water, mm. right? Well, here's why: there is because of mathematics. Right. I, I'm also I, I can't get enough of mathematics, physics, and the laws of the universe describe how we interact with each other and how the universe works. Okay, so I also use that those same laws of mathematics or laws of the universe within my writing, and I did so in Write My Way to Freedom, or I'm sorry, um, Power of Positive Thought, through constantly talking about waves. Right, because everything operates on cycles of rise and fall, up and down. Everything is a wave, right? So that is a, a subtle, subtle reference to um, a Schrodinger's wave equation, right? Which is one of the fundamental laws of the universe. Got you. So, so as as I began to write that story, to, now that answer your question more, as I began to write that story, I, I, I see the pattern. Oh, this is where I want to go with it. And then I'll I'll go gotcha. through and inject more wave references, and then I will read it again, and I, that didn't look right. Now I'll rearrange it, and I, I just constantly inject the the final thought through the entire piece. How long generally does it take you to churn out an article? It it, it depends. Um, depends on. Um, for example, um, a written in Taliban, mm-hmm. uh, which I co-authored with Matthew right. Griffin. Um, uh, Griff sent me his rough draft, um, and I, I I did all my edits in 30 minutes. Um, I, I say that Griff built the foundation of the house, and I came in, and I hung the drapes, and I set gotcha. the flooring, and I mm-hmm. hung the drywall, right? Griff built the foundation, um, but I made it I made it sting. So that took me 30 minutes, right? But a longer piece, like the one I'm writing right now, um, um, behind the scenes, um, behind the scenes, I've been working on for maybe maybe a week. It's only two thousand words, right? But mm-hmm. word, words matter, right? Yeah. As an author, every word you use matters, especially for the high level content of this upcoming piece, where we're going to. If I use the wrong words, it may I may end up, you know, with with with, with treason charges. Right. I don't want to use that. I don't want to, you know, so it's very, very tricky on on what words to use for a piece like this. Yeah. So so anywhere between 30 minutes and a week, I guess, is a better, you know, more broad answer to the answer to that question. Okay. So I want to get to the meat of that because I'm sure everybody's curiosity has peaked when they heard you say. Uh, possible treason charges. So, uh, so I, I don't. I feel like it would just be such a dick tease right. for me to go. Tell me about your childhood now. So right, let's, right. Stay with, let's stay with that for the time being. So, um, I, and let me let me frame it as best as I can from what I know about you, and then you can correct me as needed. So, you have done some really interesting work in Afghanistan. Um. And on your site, you lay out story after story after story of firsthand accounts of different Afghans' accounts of of things that have occurred since the fall of Afghanistan. 
correct me if I'm wrong, but you left Afghanistan professionally for the last time in 2015, right? Yes, sir. So what was it like coming back to Afghanistan, and I'm putting that in quotes, back to Afghanistan in the wake of the withdrawal? Um, was it easy to pick up the threads? You'd been there plenty of times, but it had been several years. Did you? Was there a disconnect, or was this an ongoing conversation and ongoing concern even during the years you weren't there? Um, well, a- Afghanistan hasn't changed much from from the age of Genghis Khan, right? It, it hasn't changed much at all. The people are still the same. So to, to come back to Afghanistan mentally really was like putting on an old t-shirt. Like I, I knew how it would fit. I, I, it wasn't, that wasn't a challenge at all. Um, so let me just lay a bit more context onto sure. how I, I, I got really roped into, not roped isn't the right word to use, um, how I began this post-Afghanistan, um, you know, mm-hmm. we call it the, our, our post-Afghan American humanitarian project. Uh, so how I, how I, we began this. So, um, I always say the context makes a story come to life, right? So to understand the depth of what we've gotten ourselves into, you have to understand how we got there, right? And it's 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 so interesting. It's, it's fascinating to me, mm-hmm. right? Because I just like I like pushing buttons and I just see what happened or happens, and I've found myself center mass in this 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 surreal experience where we're um um. Well, let me, let me get started. So, so written in Taliban was published um, August uh, two, 2021. Um, um, if, if folks haven't read it yet, I urge you to read it. Um, everyone has. Um, and I say everyone, um, everyone in the intelligence community. Uh, and in fact, I found out the article was read out loud to the Joint Chiefs of Staff um, the day after it was published. Um, it was, you know, if, if you folks don't know what the article is, it's, it, it's part of my language. It's a fuck you to the military industrial complex, right? It's a, it's a, it's a rigid middle finger in their face. Um, so the article is read out loud to the joint chiefs. Um, the article was, was, was wildly popular online. And uh, in fact, I used, I met a political analyst by chance a couple of days ago and, and, and they, um, they were starstruck that when they found out that I was the author of written in Taliban, right? So two years later, that article yeah. still reverberates around politicians and the intelligence community. So, so back up two years ago, the article was published and it, it was, I, I spent 30 minutes on it. Griff sent me his rough draft and Griff's a real smart guy. He's a West Point graduate. Um, but he, 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 he missed the mark on what he wanted to say. Um, so I, 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 I took what he said and I sharpened it. Um, I made a sting. And the article was written from the perspective of the Taliban to the United States. So from that perspective, um, my gloves were off, right? So I'm not writing as Scott Chapman author. I'm writing as someone who, who hates the United States and everything we stand for, right? So I was able to um, essentially motherfuck everybody, right? Um, and at that time, I was banned from Facebook and Twitter and I had a very, very small, you know, social media presence. So I, I, I had no idea the article was went as viral as it did. No well, idea. You were banned prior to the release. The article didn't get Correct. you banned. You were already Correct. banned. Correct. Yeah. Why? I was banned Why were you like, banned? I was banned for like two years um, ahead of that article. 
Nice. I was banned. Um, I, I posted a lot of uh, I posted a lot of information regarding um, information concerning Epstein Island. Um, I, That's I don't want to say you banned. N- not Epstein Island, quote unquote, but the activities concerning what happened on sure. Epstein Island, right? So concerning activities that took place on that island two years ago got me kicked off of Twitter and Facebook. You're um, sure that's what it was? They flagged those specific posts. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, wow. yeah, wow. yeah. So, uh, so anyway, so that information got me got me permanently banned from Facebook and Twitter. And I say the word permanently in quotes because it's it's actually pretty funny because a week before Elon Musk purchased Twitter, um, I tried to create a new Twitter account and it went through. Now, for two years ahead of that time, I tried to create multiple accounts from different computers, different IP addresses, and it still wouldn't wouldn't, um, allow me to create a Twitter account. But a week before the announcement was made, a week before the announcement was made, I created a Twitter and it went through. So I knew knew something was up. And then a week later, Elon Musk announced he's buying Twitter. And so, uh, of course... Right. So, so I was banned off all social media except for Instagram. I had a very small presence on there. Um, again, I just wanted to disconnect. So I had no idea the article went as crazy viral as it did. You know, I would, I would, I would direct message the article to some friends. Hey, check it out. I wrote this. Right. And the, the collective response was, "Holy fuck, you wrote that!" Like, I could, no one could open their social media feeds without seeing, you know, seeing right. it reposted a hundred times. So well, I thought, well, you know what? You know, I've got a lot to say. Um, I have a whole lot to say. If you, if you people, you know, if readers enjoyed this, then you know, what do you get a load of? What else I have to say? Um, so, my next article is called "The Last Plane Out of Kabul," and Havoc Journal actually published that one. Uh, this is before Havoc invited me to be a featured author. Well, while I was writing "The Last Plane Out of Kabul," I was simultaneously building my own website. So I would take a break from you know, writing, build my website, and then go back to the article and back and forth because the thought of me asking somebody else to host my words when I've, I'm kicked off every other platform, right? Just turn my stomach, right? Because these are my words. These are my thoughts. So yeah. I'm going to put it on my platform, right? So um, I, I published, um, I self-published um, Power, uh, I self-published Last Point out, out of Kabul Havoc Journal um, published that one, um, and that was also um, wildly successful. Um, but I always say that I, I'm an eternal optimist, so I, I couldn't end the story the way I did in Last Plane. I had to end on a positive note because I, um, I always, I, I know it's going to end well for us. I, I, I know it is. So that's when I wrote my next article. Uh, Every day, September twelfth. 2011 or 2001, right? Um, and that article ends on, on a positive note. So, how I got into this post-Afghanistan humanitarian effort? Hey guys, so I'm going to jump in at this point. This is the moment we talked about in the intro where we um, will edit. Um, and what you're missing is about an hour, maybe even an hour and twenty, of Scott and I talking through a whole lot of stuff about uh afghanistan um we're cutting it for reasons we actually a lot of it didn't get recorded anyway because um we paused the recording and scott and i just talked offline 
and decided, hey, you know, a lot of this stuff doesn't need to air, um, at least not right now. Um, and with Scott's article coming out, I think that'll be a good prelude to any discussion about his activities in Afghanistan. The only thing I'll tee up for you, um, so it segues somewhat seamlessly into where the recording picks up again for you guys, is um, Scott talks about meeting Russ Pritchard, who was is a writer that uh, Scott has partnered with and that he and Russ started something called the Afghan Medical Corps. And uh, where they were, and I'm condensing, you know, I'm, I'm cherry picking and condensing uh, some stuff that uh, Scott talks about in this next hour and 20 minutes that you guys are not going to hear. Um, but the Afghan Medical Corps essentially uh, links doctors in Afghanistan with American allied Afghans, um, you know, folks that you know, were helping the U.S. Uh, and delivering medical care to them. So um, Scott, is, so that's what the Afghan Medical Corps is, and that's who Russ is. So when you hear that, you know, when we pick this up, um, that should tee up exactly what you need to know to take the episode from this point forward. Okay, without any further ado, let's warp the space-time continuum and move to an hour and 20 minutes in the future. So um, so we were talking about how self-sustaining the Afghan Medical Corps is now. And can you, Scott, can you just run us through then that soup to nuts, what happens when an Afghan now needs medical care? So they have to establish that they're an ally in some way, shape, or form, or that they're righteous to Russ, and then Russ can screenshot and send it to the network, and the network goes and takes care of that guy? Is that essentially what happens? Uh, yes, yes and no. So the goal obviously isn't to be hands-on 24-7 because this is a, it's a huge project. So the goal is essentially to hand the responsibility back over to the Afghans. Okay, so And that's where we're at now is like I mentioned earlier is Afghanistan is really a small town where everybody knows everybody. So once it's now known that, Hey, Dr. One and Dr. Two are part of this covert network, right? Then Afghans will go to them for their own care. Instead of going crazy. That instead sounds of so going, crazy because they're like a covert network. It's like, hey, everybody knows they're part of a covert network. It's not so yeah. covert anymore. <laughs> then, yeah, then, it, then what happens? Then, yep. I mean, how many doctors have you lost doing this? Uh, I can't speak on that. Okay. Um, we, we, there, there's a story that needs to be told, but I don't think I can tell it here. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but it's another reason why. Um, no, I can't say that either. Yeah, um, how about I got how you. about next? How about next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. Um, so, the bottom line with this now, are you going to be start unspooling the story of the Afghan Medical Corps? Is that something? How public are you trying to make this now? How how much are, is the author Scott Chapman going to be digging into this well for subject matter going forward? Great question. So. Really, the Afghan Medical Corps is such a small fraction of what we've been up to and what our, our writing goals are. Uh, so the answer to the question, yes, is is now is the time to start to unspool this and and and, and spoon feed to the people about what is actually happening, what we're up to. Um, so it started with Ridden Taliban, okay, mm-hmm. um, the, the viral article, and 
the, the next article in, in the Written in Taliban series is called A Taliban Feast, right? It was just published mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. So And blew um, up and went viral. Oh, yeah, it was, it was, it was um, yeah. pleasantly surprised to see that. Mm-hmm. So the goal of Taliban Feast is, is to inform readers. Um, I'm, I'm going to say it differently. Um, I think what readers don't read or didn't realize is that a Taliban feast it's it's a real time intelligence report masquerading as an article from the Taliban, right? Every single sentence in that article is based off of a real story that we've experienced over the past two years, right? From the grenades and anuses to to burning down girls' schools um, to the Taliban flying their flag in Houston, right? Every single sentence in that article is is an actual event. Um, so in order to help readers understand a message, right, it's it's easier to connect your message through the through a story versus facts. If I just write an article about the Taliban growing in, in Houston, it's it's not gonna go as viral as as a beautiful story, right, written with word, creative, you know, in, in creative wordplay that's written from a Taliban's perspective. But you know there's an argument against that too, right? Because everybody's gonna go, well, wait, hold on a second. Let's get some fidelity on this. We want to dig in. What are the details on this? Because they, because especially in this day and age, right? People go, right. oh, that's hyperbole. Oh, you're overstating the case. That's oh, poetic license. Yeah. And they might say that whatever, but they're probably going to need some facts. They're going to need what to know what meat is on that bone, right? If they're so, going to so, chew on so it. So that's so that's where um, the next article in the pipeline. Um, I'm hoping to have it submitted to Havoc um, tomorrow. Um, it's, it's called Behind the Scenes. And it it paints the picture of the past two years, what we've been up to. Um, you know, it, it essentially condenses this podcast down into you know an article <laughs> format. <laughs> um, and and what is it? And so you said Afghan Medical Corps is a very small part of that. Correct. What is the so what what's the big what's the big thrust then with where that what that behind the scenes article is going to show us? What what really has been going on? The 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 willful ignorance. Of the monster growing in our backyard. Um, Tell me about that. Uh, cells are growing. Uh, cells are growing here in the United States, unchecked. Um, and it's you know that the, the the Afghans that are here are being actively recruited. Um, we know this because they're telling us they're being actively recruited, um, and that the TBs. Recruit, recruitment measures have changed over the past year. It, it used to be, we're going to kill you. We're going to find you. Now it's, hey, man, listen, we get it. We understand this. We, you know, come on, join with us. And right, it's the whole message has shifted. Um, and they're, they've got a strong marketing campaign because the Afghans that are here are working shit jobs, making shit pay. They get treated like garbage. Um, they're, they're, you know, the handful of broken promises from the United States government who is now supporting right openly um you know th- this new era of of Taliban acceptance in Afghanistan. Right. So the country who they thought they were safe now is now working with our 20-year enemy. Right. So you know that is part of the message in behind um, behind the scenes is I'm trying to shake Americans awake. Right. And you do so, right, by, you know, written in Taliban or a Taliban feast and now behind the scenes, right, trying to shake people awake 
to to let them realize that the willful ignorance of um, the alphabets who are allowing this stuff to happen. If you're comfortable with it, can you speculate on why you think someone would not take the volume of information that, as you say, could be career making and investigate it? What's the incentive uh, to not do that? I, I, I can tell you that um, speculation offline, but I don't want okay. to do that in recording. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I don't, I don't, fair. I don't want to be suicided. How's that? No, 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 that's fair. Yeah. So um, I know um, I'll, I'll fill in some gaps that I'm comfortable saying. I know there was um, credible reporting. We heard um, in August 21, uh, September 21 of um, a majority of the planes that were leaving H. Kaya having um, Urdu speakers on board, which seems dissonant with what you would expect to find when you have Afghans fleeing a country, meaning that you're getting people coming from Pakistan and people that are not speaking Pashto or Dari and are said, you know, Urdu speakers from Pakistan and um, do with that information as you see fit. And then the number of young men unattached without families that also were leaving. Um, I think there's some pretty good breadcrumbs that established that, that that might have some teeth to it. Your time on the southern border, and you've referenced this in, I think, Taliban Feast, if not each of the articles, um, you reference terror cells utilizing the southern border. Have you seen evidence of that firsthand? No, I have not. Not, not firsthand evidence. Um, we just have reports from, from our network. Okay. Right. Um, also, also remind you, uh, go go back to um, the airport in Kabul. It was the Taliban who controlled access, who was sure. allowed to enter the gates. Sure. Right. So, yes. so they were the bottleneck. So the people that entered those planes um, were, were were Taliban. Right. I mean, there's reports of eyewitness reports of as the gates were closing, dropping their AKs and then walking in, in, in into the base. Right, so they're here, and they're 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 unchecked. They're they're they're, they're not being surveilled. Um, they're like I said, they're they're driving our trucks, preparing our food. They're delivering our packages. Um, now, the, the, just to just to not be super alarmist with it, and I'm someone that, especially after nine eleven, I you know, when I was at the towers, I mean, I'm I'm there's no one more hawkish on terrorism than me. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, so th- what was supposed to happen with those planes is they land. There is vetting. If they landed in a lily pad, then they're they are supposed to be in a holding cell somewhere, Qatar, UAE, wherever, and they're there and they're getting vetted. Do you have evidence of people actually getting into the states and being released from Afghanistan directly without sufficient vetting? Have you that's seen dangerous, that? That's a dangerous question. I can tell yeah. you that um, with my partner next to me. Um, let me let me get you know if you have us back, uh, me and my, my my partner on this. He can speak more on that. We, we might need a, to. We might need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a that's a dangerous question to answer. Yeah. Um, so let me let's just uh, say pause on that. Yeah, because um, because I think that's that's the thing. I think that um, for those listening, I think it's important to to recognize the American government for all of its wild incompetence in that fucking withdrawal, which I know cost me personally an awful lot. Um, not to mention you, I'm sure, and many others. There were some nominal safeguards that were supposed to be in place. And from what I heard and what I saw in the traffic I saw, um, 
those processes were very good, at least at keeping a lot of good people out or slowing their process down. Mm. Um, but I also have to believe that there's no reason that wouldn't have also been a pretty good, sizable obstacle to overcome for bad guys and bad actors. Um, but again, I'm open to hearing all the evidence um, arrayed. It's something that I feel like <laughs> I'm going to just tangent for one second, just because we are talking about so many hot buttons. But I feel like Afghanistan has become somewhat like the veteran homeless problem, which is it's something that's so ugly and so few people want to keep focus on it and know the ins and outs of the problem set that um, a lot of things can be said hyperbolically and overstated because no one's ever going to investigate. No one has the bandwidth. No one has the tolerance. People are like, motherfucker, I'm tired of that shit. I've made up my mind on this. I want to be done with it. We had a case up here recently in my neck of the woods, which is why I'm mentioning it, where we had people wildly doing severe damage to the veteran homeless problem because they wildly overstated it and made it into something it wasn't because no one was ever going to investigate it. No one was ever going to look into that. No one has the bandwidth to look into that situation. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Afghanistan has become sort of similar where it's one of those things where, hey, oh, God bless, you're doing God's work because I don't even want to look into that shit. But then, um, but a lot of people are ignorant of the processes that are in place and what exactly it takes to thread that needle. Um, and it's a difficult, difficult problem set. And I agree with you. My bias is I absolutely think, I mean, I know for a fact when I left country in October 2020, Every single Sunni terror group on the planet, and I'm really almost not overstating that, I mean, with very few exceptions, has a footprint in Afghanistan as of October 2020. I can confirm right. that. So right. for me, it doesn't strain credibility to go, hey, there's a lot of bad shit that's going to be coming our way when we lose visibility over what happens in Afghanistan. Yep. Um, but then it's just a matter of the too broad a brush. How specifically is that going to happen? Where is that going to happen? Why would that happen? Where's the failure in the systemic breakdown? Anyway, all of but that. Also, way of saying, it, sorry, go ahead. So much of just to expand on what you just said, so much about their quote unquote willful ignorance is lack of funding, right? So the federal government isn't going to do anything unless there's money allocated for it. Okay. So they can't invest 40 man hours a week into focusing on Afghanistan if that person, if there's no money allocated towards Afghanistan. So when we withdrew, that was it. They closed the bank. So there's no money. So therefore all these other you know, alphabets and federal agencies just aren't investing any time in it because they're, they're allocated for elsewhere. So I, my understand, I, I've divorced myself from this problem set um, a while ago. So my information is slightly dated, but my understanding is that the people that were doing biometric enrollment and all that, that that's still happening at lily pads if they haven't already gotten everybody from some of the humanitarian parole cities that they set up um, in third countries. My question, though, would be how much are they willing to follow up on any red flags that they see? You know, is the will there? Is the political will there to investigate? Yeah, um, do, you, do, do you trust the federal government to follow up? Yeah, at this point, no. And I think that's where they take their marching orders from the top. And it's yeah. not even it's not even a directed order. It's more just right. what's the culture going to tolerate? And is the am I working in a culture that's going to tolerate investigating something where right. there's a high degree of, of potential blowback? I'm not so sure. Um, I think that'll happen under the next watch, and then we'll look back and go, "Oh shit, yeah, we should have been paying attention to that more." Now, right? And and that's exactly 
just to kind of circle back to you know to, to my writing, um, if you read Keep Your Powder Dry, yeah, um, that's the one I published right before Taliban Feast. There's a reason why I'm so critical of the government in that yeah. in that article. Well, because I this is what we're dealing with. Like I, I know the monster on the horizon. I know their their willful ignorance. I know what's happening, and I can see it. I, I can see it like a movie playing out in front of me, right? So that's why I was so critical of the federal government in that in yeah. that um, in that article. But I had to do it in a way that was playful. So I, I didn't just want to write his angry op-ed. Yes. right. I, I yeah. wrote it. That was actually my first time writing in a way that rhymed, and I, I thought about it like a. Like like an aggressive tennis match is how I thought about it. Each sentence was separated, you know, left and right, with a semicolon, and the semicolon was a tennis net, right? So every sentence was a back and forth, you know, volley, an aggressive volley back and forth. Um, but if I just would have wrote that as an angry op-ed, it, I would just be been you know an angry veteran, right? So so there's a reason why I was so I, I'm so openly. Um, I write so openly with my anger with the federal government is because I know their their inability to take action to keep us safe. Can I read your author's note? Because it was one of the first things that endeared you to me when I read this. I thought it was something that was incredibly important that you Correct. localized. Sure. And author's so I, note from Powder Dry? From Powder Dry. Yes, sir. Because you said, we are who we are today based on the decisions made in our past. The values we hold dear are forged by our victories and our heartaches. The goal of this article is not to shame service to your country or suggest regret for overseas actions. That's an incredibly important line. And I think frequently that that line gets blurred. Um, you said, instead, I celebrate, my favorite phrase, our stress-enhanced enlightenment. Our unique experiences, both good and bad, have shaped us to become the pillars of tomorrow. Again, incredibly important that the veteran service continues because as you say fear not and keep your head held high we've earned the right to see the world through our naked eyes that is a fucking brilliant way of putting the experiential wisdom that veterans have front front burner and making sure that we hold ourselves to a clear-eyed vision of what we've seen I think with that comes the reciprocal importance of holding ourselves to to only what we know and not speculating on what we don't know. But that's topic for a different day. I think as far as that goes, the, the things that we know and that we've seen, it is important for us to bring that to the civilian community because that is something truly special that we can bring and truly enlighten folks. Um why did you feel a need to write that at the end of that specific article? Uh, there is a very specific reason why I wrote that. Um, so the article opens with um, me receiving a text from a friend, right? In the first paragraph, mm -hmm. I mentioned mm -hmm. I received a text from a friend, uh, one of my closest friends. He, um, he's an icon in the industry. He's a former recon Marine. He's a former Army Ranger. Uh, the guy's lived a hard life. He's a, a war fighter through and through. Um, and everything in that story is, you know, it, it's actually happened. He sent me a text. I, I read it. I woke up and I sit in my bed at 3 a.m. I'm typing this article. Um, so I sent to the rough draft, like, hey, hey, man, like, check this out. I wrote this because of you, right? What do you think about it? And um, 
the reaction I received from him, um, I, I felt like, oh my God, like, like this is too much. I, I needed to give him a reason why I wrote this, right? Because I didn't want to just stir him up and make him angry, huh. and and yeah. make him regret like his, his whole life. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. he 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 sent me a text right afterwards. Like I feel like everything I've done in life is, you know, is, is for is for nothing. I convinced my boys to join the Holy military. Shit. Yeah. He's like I've I've done so much. And it's like I look around at his office. And I'm sure he's got you know, plaques and ribbons and, and like yeah. a whole history of war fighting. Like, and then here I am with this, this, this sharp article that stabbed them right in the heart. Right. So I thought, Oh my God, like, I, 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 it was a different perspective. Like, Holy shit. I need to, I need to hurry up and, and write something beautiful that doesn't make veterans feel regret for, for yes. serving their country. Yeah. Boy. So to me, Scott, that's what differentiates you in so many ways from so many other folks that I read. Um, because I think a lot of people, I think for one thing, it's very easy to criticize and that's not a bad thing. It's important and it's necessary. But with that, it has to be tempered with the so what? Okay. Does that mean none of it was good? Does that mean it's just tactical or strategic mistakes that were made, but the overall vision was correct like or, or the risk assessment was correct and being able to throw the bathwater out and not the baby is a big 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 issue i think in our community especially when we verbalize our complaints or our experiences and one of the other things that you said on this show that i love that i i picked up in your writing but hearing you say it i i didn't formalize it in my thoughts until you said it that you're still an optimist absolutely why why are you still an optimist? Why am I still an optimist? Um, oh, that's a, that could be a whole other show. <laughs> um, <laughs> <You're done. laughs> yeah, yeah. Why? Why am I still an optimist? Um, let me say it in as few words as possible. One of my passions is physics, right? I astrophysics. Um, I, I, I love studying uh, quantum mechanics, uh, relativity, and, and everything in between. Um, quantum mechanics are very, very small stuff. Relativity, very, very big stuff, right? And everything in between. The, the laws of the universe are just absolutely fascinating to me. Um, I love astronomy, right? Um, and one, one, cannot, one cannot look beyond the stars without developing a unique perspective, mm. right? So under understanding the fundamental foundation of what makes human beings human or what makes us a, a, a community, right? I, I know at, at the end of the day, it's, we're, we're just, um, we, we're just like waves in the ocean. Okay. So there's ups and downs, there's ups and downs, right? We're in it. We're in a down, right? We're in a trough right now, and we're going to come back up, right? Just, just it's just rise and fall, right? There's been then cycles and cycles and cycles of rise and fall. Everything in the universe operates through cycles of rise and fall. Nothing is static, right? So I know that it'll eventually get better, right? Unfortunately, it might have to get worse before it gets better, but I know it'll get better. So when I owned, I used to own a security company. And I had to teach myself how to be a salesman. So one of the books I read on sales 
was, um, it, let's say, for example, it might take 100 no's to get that first yes, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So I know that every no I get is one more no closer to yes. Mm -hmm. So whenever I view like a, 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 a horrible thing happen in the news, like these Maui fires that are, that are suspect, right? Or all these other fires that are suspect or this, all this other carnage that is a little suspect, right? I know that's one more no closer to the yes, because more and more people have to realize that maybe the government doesn't have your best interest in mind, right? More COVID lockdowns. Hey, that's another no closer to yes. Right. So it's, it's step, 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 step. And I know eventually we're going to come out of this trough, right. And together, and I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist. I, you know, I believe that we have the power to solve these problems, all these problems. We have the power to do it. Um, we don't realize how powerful we are um, individually, mm. right. Just through, I mean, just through my written words, right. I mean, I mean, I, I love the phrase, never underestimate the power of words, Right. Just just my little words on my article has, has put you know us here together to have this conversation. Right. So it's something I did two years ago that put us here today. Right. So I'm I'm right. curious where this is going to put me two years from now. Yeah. Right. And I just view my life as a story. Are you religious at all? Or do you have faith in any way? Um uh yes. Um, but what I often say, um let me, it's <laughs> a whole other conversation. <laughs> so, so I was a pretty hardcore atheist, um, hardcore atheist until I, until I started studying mathematics. Really? Um, yeah. Until I started to understand the laws of the universe, um, big picture stuff, um, until I started to connect the dots and put it all together. Um, I, I developed um, my own, my own perspective on, on what I think um you know, God actually is. Um, I always tell people that I believe everything you believe, but you don't believe what I believe. Um, I, I feel like I'm just a, a, a different perspective at a, I don't want to say higher, but a, a, a higher elevation to, to look down and see, yes, you're all part of the same umbrella, but you don't, you can't see what I see yet. Um, in fact, I've been writing this article for um, about seven years, I've been writing this article. So you asked how long I've been writing. It takes me to write. Um, there's an article I've been writing for about seven years. Um, and it, it's all can answer to the question, what is electricity? Um, and I've been gathering information and I have to understand, for example, quantum mechanics to be able to accurately describe these two paragraphs in this article. Right. And I have to do it in a oh, way shit. I have to do it in a way to be able to explain complex math and complex science in a way that is easy to understand. And, and I've got a knack for explaining complex things relatively simple or relatively easy. Um, so I've been working on this article for, for a while, and it's one that I'm waiting to release um, once I get all the other stuff out of the way. So if you've noticed in my previous works, there's a constant reference to mathematics there's a constant reference to the laws of the universe, right? And I, and I pepper that in all on purpose with the slow anticipation and build up to this, this, this revelation that I've, you know, been writing for, for, you know, for a long time. I know that, uh, 
I'm, I'm going to ask because I can't resist not asking. Um, so answer this as much or as little as you want, since it got you banned off Facebook and Twitter. But what insight do you have on Epstein? Oh, n- nothing, nothing more than than what's been um, pushed out on mainstream media. What do you um, think? Do you have? Do, do you want to speculate? What do you think? Happened? Do I want to speculate? I speculate it was a blackmail ring um, created by the, um, the alphabets. That's what I speculate. It, it was a, a, a blackmail ring that got out of hand, and um, they've been funding it, and and that's how you keep people in check by put them in positions. Uh, then we're going to record them. And then now you, you can have, you know, that you own that person. Can, I, mean, can I, can I one up you? Can I one oh, up please. you on it? Yeah, please, please Again, do. And I'm happy to do it only because I know absolutely fucking nothing about this. So I'm speculating completely out of my ass. I really think it was Mossad. I think Mossad was running Epstein. I think that's the, that's the entity that makes perfect sense to go, Hey, who do we want to collect information on Bill Clinton and Prince Andrew and everybody else um, to protect our own interests and who else can get in there? But I do think in this case, I'm like that granularly looking at Epstein, I'm like, oh, that makes he would be such a great asset if you're Mossad and you need. And and the thing is, is and this will be my one controversial thing. I'll say this episode. I'm not sure I blame them. It's a great asset. Why wouldn't you have that? You want to make sure that you're protected. Great. Now you got information on Bill Clinton. You got information on Prince Andrew. Of course, you need to protect yourself. You're surrounded by your geopolitical enemies. Want to make sure your allies don't desert you. Sure. Collect all the information you want. That's part of the role of a nation state. And that's a great asset to run. Um, I don't know. And I'll never know, but that's my speculation. I, I, I think, um, I think all of this, all of this um, upheaval that we're seeing, all of this, 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 this divide, all of this nonsense, um, the, the, the crazy narratives. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think, it's all coming to it's all coming to a head, um, and I think we're going to see it come to a head in our lifetime. I think sooner than you realize, and and I believe so because it all follows the laws of mathematics. Um, like f- for example, the the, uh, um, the Fibonacci spiral. Don't know um, it. What is that? Uh, Fibonacci spiral. Um, the, the, a golden ratio. Okay. Um, it, it's that, um, how, how to describe it. Um, so mathematics is our, is our, is the hidden operating system that defines everything in the universe. Okay. It, it, it's the background system that controls everything that we do or how plants grow or how universes form, right? It's, it's, it's the background operating system, the same kind of operating system that's on your computer, on your phone right now, it tells the screen what to do. Okay. So we are subjects to that operating system. So I see it says, it says it's the sum of the two numbers preceding it. So it's the sequence in which each number is the sum of the two preceding numbers. Correct. Correct. Okay. Right. So, so for, for example, how, how can you use that perspective, right? The laws of the universe, um, how does it direct our actions as human beings, right? So let's look at art history, mm-hmm. okay? So caveman paintings, right? Paleolithic caveman paintings. We were cavemen for a very long time, mm-hmm. okay? Well, the next period of art was half as long. The next, generally speaking, the next period of art was half as long as that. 
the next period of art was half as long as that. So every next period of art is half as long as a previous period of art, which follows the Fibonacci spiral almost perfectly, mm. right? And it's the same spiral that makes uh, succulents grow in a spiral or sunflowers grow in a spiral or, or our universe a spiral galaxy. I'm sorry, our, 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 um, our, 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 our galaxy, a, a spiral galaxy, right? So it's the mathematical operating system. So think of that instead of now as each next segment dividing in half, think of it as an expanding bubble, right? So think of that bubble expanding where it expands at the rate of this Fibonacci sequence faster and faster and faster, okay? So our divide, our divide between left and right, between good and evil, between right and wrong, right? It's more severe than it's ever been in human history and this cycle of human history. So that is essentially, we're at the last, for example, the last period of art, right? Because we just entered AI art and it, after six months, it immediately started to degrade. So now they have to create new AI art so they don't make a grade. Whereas caveman paintings lasted you know, thousands and thousands of years, mm-hmm. that period of art, this new period of art, AI art, lasted six months, right? So the next period of art will last three months and then a month and a half, and, right? So who knows where, where we're going to be? Um, so that as that bubble expands, right, we're dividing more and more and more. And then my question would be, to what end, right? You can't divide sure. zero, right? Sure. You can't divide zero, Right, you can only grow so fast. Bubble can only expand so much. Right, Fibonacci sequence can only go back down to zero. Right, you can't divide zero in half. So that's why I believe that all this divide is going to get wrapped up um, within our lifetime or much, much, much sooner. I'm not trying to get deeply philosophical, but I think I think it's it's an inevitable question based off what you're saying. Do you believe in free will? Do you think we have free will? Uh, yes, I do. With within con- within constraints of mathematics, okay, right? Because like I, I chose to sit and talk with you, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I, I I chose to sit here and have a conversation with you, um, but also, well, I I chose to do it because I have a mortgage to pay, right? I chose to do it because I have I want to try and write for a living one day and, and earn money. Right now, I do it all for free because mm-hmm. I enjoy enjoy doing it. I don't get paid for anything I've written. Um, so. Yeah, so I free will to have this conversation, but also I'm guided through my other needs, right? So it's 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 illusion of free will within parameters. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, there's something somewhat evangelical, I've, and not in a religious sense. Well, I guess in a religious sense, but not necessarily meaning like evangelical Baptist or anything. Um, but in what you're saying, because. Uh, the end, it's like end of days, right? It's like, hey, we're all this is all heading towards something, yeah. And I think that, um, there's an inherent contagion with that thought that I think is is interesting. Um, <laughs> I think it makes people like the Turks inherently conspiratorial and inherently uh distrusting of anything they hear because conspiracy is so interwoven in that culture. But I feel like yeah, with social media and everything, the contagiousness of thought uh, becomes an interesting phenomenon for us. How do you, being that this is where you're seeing things line up? 
How does that dovetail with the work you're doing? What is your role in it? What do you see your place being in that? Um, I have a long answer to that, and it's all on purpose. Um, it, it's everything I do is by design, is on purpose with the goal of of pushing a particular kind of message or or allowing a certain perspective um, with the next goal. So let me first explain. Um, what the hell that means, or, or the context of it. Um, so I told you I'm a big fan of science, mm-hmm. right? And I tend to sometimes deep dive into a particular subject because it's, it's interesting. Um, so when I owned my security company, um, I, I was a captive audience um, to, to myself because um, when I was not doing sales calls in a day, I threw on my security hat, jumped in the security car, and did my security patrols at night. So I was working 24 seven. It was was a grind. Well, while I was in a security car, um, I I couldn't make phone calls or send texts or write emails really. So I would listen to lectures, right? I had the, the, the fortunate availability to listen to anything I've ever wanted to listen to or learn anything Mm -hmm. I've ever wanted to learn. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I didn't use that time to binge watch the office or binge watch breaking bad. Right. I listened to lectures on, you know, relativity or you know, quantum mechanics or stuff that just fascinated me. So I, I started to really focus on the, on the sun, on our star, right? our local star. Um, we'd see it every day, but no one ever pays attention to it. Um, so I started to learn more about it and, and, and it's interesting. Like it's, it's, it's so fascinating. Um, learn more about it and learn that, well, oh, the sun operates in cycles, um, you know, cycles of rise and fall. Right. And, and, part of the reason why I talk about cycles so frequently in my, my works. Um, so I started to learn more about the sun and the solar cycles and, um, you know, connecting history to these solar cycles, like terrestrial history, like American history, what was happening during this period of time when the sun was in a down cycle? Oh, wow. That was a really long cold era. You know, for example, the little ice age, 1350 to 1850, that era of time is known as little ice age. Well, what was the sun doing? Well, the sun was in a period of reduced activity. Oh, that's why it was so cold for so long, right? Or, or these other deep ice ages that, that we've experienced, four, five other deep ice ages. Oh, the sun, right? The sun was doing something different that caused our planet to plummet into an ice age. There's been five deep ice ages um, and other multiple mini ice ages in between. Also. So there's cycles within cycles within cycles. If you just view it as, as, a, as a wave, right? It's just ups and downs, ups and downs, and there's waves within waves within waves. So um, there's, there's something happening with the sun um, currently today that, is, that, that caught my attention. Um, it caught my attention in a big way because, well, let me try and prove these people wrong. Not in a sense that uh, I was arrogant or just trying to you know, win an online argument. No, I was just curious. So let me just be a, the devil's advocate and learn as much as I can to counter their argument just so I can have an intelligent conversation on the matter because I have nothing else to do at 3 a.m. while I'm driving around the ghetto, right? right. So um, so as I begin to learn more and more and more and, and study, um, you know, not just the sun, but, um, you know, like magnetism and um, like solar dynamo, 
um, and, and history and, and, and clouds and, and, um, you know, cosmic rays. And it, it's a broad, broad, broad subject. And that's what makes it so complicated or difficult to grasp. Um, I, I began to piece together, oh, wait a minute. I, I think these scientists are right. Um, so um, the nuts and bolts of it is concerning how the sun's four magnetic fields interact with each other. Okay. And by the way, this research, I was near manic on it about three years. Um, so, so for three years, I was studying this like nonstop because it was so damn interesting to me. Um, so I ended up putting all this information together in a PowerPoint presentation because well, I couldn't figure out the best way to tell people like what I was learning because I would just barf science at people for 30 seconds. Well, I'm trying to condense three years into oh, 30 seconds. Yeah, right. 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 I was like, like, how do I paint the context of like what's going on? So I'm talking about time dilation and uh, going crazy. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Um, so, so I realized I need to reorganize like how I'm delivering this message because it's it's important and it's also just something fun to do. Um, so I put it together in a lecture. Um, the lecture takes about two and a half hours from start to finish. Um, it's in a PowerPoint presentation. There's about 75 pages on the PowerPoint presentation. I, I gave the lecture actually to a local um, like farming group where I was living because um, they knew about this solar event. And it's so complicated. They couldn't really understand it until I got up in front of them with my, my, my slideshow. And I was like, a, you know, a laser pointer and explained everything. So, you know, Right after that, I was actually flown to Texas to do a paid lecture. Right, I gave this lecture to a room of, of energy CEOs. Um, there's like 35 people in the room. There's um, like oil company CEOs. There's um, 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 like food production CEOs. Like it, it, little old me, right? Giving this this lecture, and, and it took about an hour into the lecture. It takes about an hour into the lecture before I, I see it on all their body language. I see it in their faces before they can connect what I'm, where I'm getting at. And it takes a while to get to lead people to the meat and potatoes of the whole, of, of the whole uh, lecture. And really the meat and potatoes of lectures, two slides, but without, you know, the two hours of context, the two slides don't really mean much. So once I get to that point, it's like, holy shit, like, like, you know, it, it's, a, it's a holy shit moment for them. So at that moment I thought, okay, I'm done. Right, I can set this project down. Right, if I can convince these energy CEOs that I'm not screaming at the moon, right, and I'm, I'm not a lunatic, then I'm not that good of a salesman. But you know, I, I you know, they all just you know thank me and thank me. So I thought I was done uh, until um, I got a little cocky. Um, so I sent my lecture to the the, the scientist, um, Dr. Um, Valentina Zarkova. Uh, she's a mathematician from Northumbria University. I sent my le- and my whole my my punchline that those two slides are based off of her work um, that she had just published like a year earlier. Um, so I sent my lecture to her, like, "Hey, Dr. Zarkova, like, what do you what do you think about this?" I just wanted her to confirm, like, "Hey, I'm not misunderstanding your work. Like, is this real? Like, is this actually happening?" And she, she said, "Yeah, she just, that's it. Like, you got it." Uh, so, so I thought, okay, finally, I can, like, I'm not fucking crazy, right? Like, I can, you know, I, I know something other people don't know, but I couldn't explain it to them. But I did so in this, in this, in this story. Um, so I thought I was done until this final, this final really validation 
where I finally set all this information down. I stopped learning about it. Um, Dr. Zarkova, she um, um, she was pre- preparing and planning for a lecture um, that next spring. Um, and she CC'd me in this lecture. Um, among other people she CC'd were world-leading geologists, experts on cosmic rays, um, physicists, astronomers, and, and, and me, uh, a former army ranger who, who likes to write. Um, and the, the content of the, of the email was, Hey, um, I'm, I'm preparing a lecture to quote, help world leaders understand what's happening end quote. Um, and I, I gave my, my two cents. I gave them how, like I was able to connect and what I did and I, I left it up to them. Um, so the, the punchline, the punchline of this whole, you know, you know, message of the sun is human beings, um, our, our species, we, we live and die by the amount of energy we receive from the sun, period. Okay. Civilizations rise and fall based off of solar activity, right? Humans thrive in the warmth and we don't do so well in the cold, right? For example, look at these ice ages, right? Population plummeted through these deep ice ages, mm-hmm. right? Well, the amount of energy that humans receive from the sun, right? It's all determined by how the sun's four magnetic fields interact with each other. Okay. So those magnetic fields are currently out of phase, right? So the sun is entering what's commonly referred to as a grand solar minimum. It's a hybrid, it's a really a hibernation phase of sorts where we're receiving less energy. Okay. So, what happens to the sun will happen to our planet. So as the sun sort of weakens is the best way to describe it. I hate using that word because it's it's so, so generic and loose, Mm -hmm. but for lack of better words, as the sun weakens, it affects our planet, right? Not just from the heat received, but from our magnetic shield, our magnetosphere. So as our magnetic sphere is, it's currently weakening exponentially it allows in more cosmic rays, mm-hmm. right? Which, which create um, uh, record rainfall right? again and again and again. You've seen just in the recent months or past couple of years, how many record rainfalls you've seen or record hail, right? Because these charged particles, these cosmic rays are exciting the atmosphere and creating monster, monster storms. Um, I'm not saying it's the only reason. Uh, we know HARP is an issue, um, but it's one factor. So, as human beings, we are electromagnetic creatures. We live and die by the, by the energy right, in our bodies, right? Um, electricity um, is, is connecting the synapse in my brain right now to, to formulate thoughts and ideas to, to now for you to hear them, right? Mm-hmm. So it's electricity, right? Mm-hmm. Well, well, electricity is another form of magnetism, right? So human beings are electromagnetic creatures. So as the Earth's magnetic shield weakens, our um, magnetic um, aura also becomes affected, right? So as the Earth changes, so do we. So that's why I'm so optimistic about the message of my articles being received is because people are now more aware, their consciousness is rising because the Earth's magnetic shield is weakening. So we're in a state of, of having a, an elevated consciousness, a rising consciousness, 
And it's all due to our interaction with the sun, how the sun affects the planet, the planet affects us. So that's why, for example, that redheaded guy, that musician, um, a couple of days ago, he, or two weeks ago, he had an art, a song that went crazy viral with like 40 million views, Okay, right? Well, everything that he sang about is what I wrote about in Powder Dry, right? The, the world is ready oh, for this. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah the, the world is ready for this information because our, our consciousness is, is, is expanding and it's rising and it's rising because of our connection to the sun and to the planet. So, so understanding. So wait, wait, let, let me ask you this then. So let me walk through this. So is this the first time the sun has ever been in that position? No, position absolutely not. No. Okay. No, no, absolutely. Not. Did consciousness tangibly rise the other times that it was in this position? That That's a difficult um, question to answer because you have to look at history and connect what was happening through history with like with the sun. So um, um, the answer is, I don't know. But okay. what I do know, I do know that the only time the River Thames froze over was during this period of reduced solar activity, right? The only time that when George Washington crossed the Delaware to go kill our enemies in the middle of the night, right? That famous picture of Washington mm-hmm. and all the icebergs in the Delaware. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how many times does Delaware freeze over like that? It doesn't. Yeah. But it did so during that time because that was that was a, a solar minimum cycle. That was a collection of solar cycles that were less strong than the cycles to the left and to the right. So it was a collection of 11-year cycles that were weaker. So we received less energy. So the, the, the winter lasted longer. The winters were more brutal. Or summer, the growth season was shorter. So that's the reason why there were so many icebergs is because the sun wasn't producing as much energy. So you learned all this and put all, did you put this theory together or did you learn this from some specific one source? Um, I, I, I put the overall theory together. Um, the problem what is, what was your source material? Where, where did you, where did you start? Who was, who are you listening to? Who are these podcasts? Where were the books oh, that you um, were reading and listening um, to? Jeez. Um, um, in fact, I created a website to, let me answer that question. Oh, we'll, put, oh, we'll, put, we'll put that in the show notes. Great. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so, so my my writing website for my author is, is scottchapinauthor.com. dot sure. Right. Well, if you go to my works tab, if you scroll down to the bottom, it, there's a link for Super GSM Info, and, and that's the website I created gotcha. to house to house all the solar information that I that I been gotcha. researching. And in fact, okay. you can even download that that. Uh, that 75 page PowerPoint presentation for free. Um, it's on there just because the information is so vital. So, so, so a long way to answer your question is, um, is, is about the expanding bubble, right? So, so that the crest of the wave, the, the, the trough, rather the trough of that wave, right? The, the bottom of this wave where we're headed to, because it has to get worse and worse and worse as we're heading down the, the, the bottom of that wave is when the sun's magnetic fields are the most out of sync, right? And that's in the year 2030. In the year 2030 is when the magnetic fields are the furthest apart from each other and the sun will be um, the most, uh, the, the, the weakest it's been in, in, in a very long time. Um, okay, so, 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 tell, so tell me about the government. So, what, so the government's role and then what's your role in this? Right, so, so where do you so want to be I, for this? I, I, I can't speak of what their actions are, um, or what I think they're doing, because that's just speculative. I, I, I want to talk about facts. 
Um, so I can tell you what, what I'm doing, the overall, the absolute overall, um, the, the big picture goal of every word that I've written since, since the beginning. Um, we have the tools to solve this problem, right? We have the tools to solve the problem of an ailing son, right? 100% absolutely we have the tools. Uh, so I'm not talking about some, some, some fancy Elon Musk, right? High atmosphere laser, right? I'm talking about our consciousness, right? We, we can solve this problem by expanding our consciousness, right? Well, how is that possible? Okay. So according to a general theory of relativity, Einstein's general theory of relativity, all time exists simultaneously. The past, the present, and the future all exists right now. Okay. So, well, if all time exists right now, well, then all technology and all thoughts also exist now in this slice of now, right? All thoughts in the past, all thoughts in the present, all thoughts in the future. But what are thoughts? Well, thoughts are electrical connections in your brain, right? That's all they are. They're electrical connections made in your brain, right? So it's electricity. Well, according to the second law of thermodynamics, um, energy, right, um, as well as electricity, from, from my point of view, um, it cannot be created nor destroyed, okay? So every thought is, is, is available. Well, where are these thoughts, right? I talked about the expanding bubble a, a minute ago. So think about the moment you're born, right? Everything you know is condensed down into a single pinprick, right? A singularity, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. The, same word, the same word at the center of a black hole is a singularity, right? So consider yourself the same. So everything you know is condensed down into a single pinprick of knowledge. Well, as you begin to grow and learn, your bubble of, of knowledge also grows, right? It expands out in all directions, right? And you, you're continuously growing as a human being and expanding your knowledge and acquiring, acquiring more information. Well, every single thing that you know exists within the larger bubble of total human knowledge, right? So any, anything that you learn, establish, or you know, thoughts or whatever, more than likely someone else already has somewhere else around, right? Unless you have a brand new thought or a brand, you get a PhD and discover some molecule or something that no other scientist or anyone's ever discovered, a new way to, new way to slice bread, who knows? But your personal bubble of knowledge then butts up against the total knowledge, right? The, the, the collected larger bubble, mm-hmm. right? The larger bubble of human knowledge. Okay. And then the goal is to grow, right? And to distribute your new knowledge into the collection, right, of our of our species to to essentially push knowledge out there, right? Well, that knowledge, right, the 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 larger bubble that we all reside in exists within the larger warehouse, right, of of knowledge. And that's past cycles of humans. Right. So there's been five, five different ice ages on this planet that we know of, uh, five different times where humans could have thrived, five different warm eras where humans could have thrived. Our written history goes back 6,000 years. Well, 420,000 years ago, humans had our same size brain. So those, those humans Wait, how had many their years own, ago? 420? Four, uh, 420,000 years ago, humans well, had our same... I thought we were only around for the last 10,000. Humans have only existed for the last 10,000, right? For, for, from what we know. 
Yeah. Uh, um, say it differently. Um, no, that's not true. E- easy way to say it. No, mm-hmm. it's not. Our, our written history goes back 6,000 years, but humans, a form of humans, have been have been around 420,000 years. So they had the same size brain as we do today. So all of their knowledge, all of their experience for every past cycle. And let's just talk about this cycle of humans, this past 6,000 years. So all of that information is available, right? It's all available. So when I talk about we have the tools necessary to solve this problem, that pool of knowledge is called the Akashic Records. And it's everywhere and it's all around us. And it takes us to expand our consciousness, um, to be able to tap into tap into this resource of network of knowledge uh, to solve this, this problem. And I had this analogy um, and it's really the heart of this, this electricity essay I'm writing. Um, I can see so, why this essay took you seven years. It's complicated. Yeah. You start pulling on it, one thread and it goes for a while. It, yeah. It's, it, it's yeah. complicated, but it's, it's fun as hell to talk about. So um so, so imagine um, a, a pickup truck sitting in the woods, right? If you come back in 12,000 years, there'd be no record that truck ever existed. It's going to break down to its, 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 its base molecules, its star stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so nothing we can create will stand the test of time, right? But things made of stone do right, last much longer than things we can create. Now, in the lifespan of the universe, right? Of course, everything in the universe will eventually die and degrade. But I'm talking about, um, I'm, I'm talking about, um, you know, the next, you know, you know 20, 30, 100,000 years, right? Things of stone will still last. So, in my opinion, there's a reason why every megalithic structure on the planet is connected to some celestial event or is, is in relation to the equinoxes or the solstices, is because they're all telling us to look up. Right. So every megalithic structure is telling us to look up. If you had a message to pass to someone in the future, how would you do it? Because there's no guarantee in, in 12,000 years they're going to speak your language or even inhabit that part of the world. Well, the universal language is mathematics, right? Mathematics and astronomy. So what message would they pass to us? Well, what if there's cycles of rise and fall? What if they, they figured out there are cycles of rise and fall? Okay. So Let's go back to that truck analogy, right? So um, you, 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 you push in the clutch, right? You, you crank over the truck, you start it up, you push in the clutch, you put it in first gear, right? It's a manual, okay? Um, for those listeners who don't know manual, you have to push in the clutch before you start it, right? <laughs> so as, as, and you, as you're letting off the clutch, you're pushing in the gas. So the rate at which you push down the gas follows the mathematical laws, the same law that I mentioned, every period of art is half as long, half as long, half as long, right? Mm -hmm. The rate at which you push that gas pedal follows that same mathematical equation, okay? So at 1,000 RPM, right, the the, the, the larger bubble that's been expanding that we've all live in, right, is condensed down to a small dot, right? So at 1,000 RPM, we emerge from the caves, right? from 1,000 RPM to 2,000 RPM, right, takes a long time. Caveman paintings, for example, right? Well, 2,000 RPM, we figured out agriculture, right? Well, three to four takes half as long, 
right? Now we figured out animal husbandry, right? So every next RPM notch takes half as long as the next. And you're pushing down that gas pedal at the rate of Moore's law, at the rate of the Fibonacci spiral. Well, what happens at 9,000 RPM? Well, you didn't, you didn't figure it out. So you slam in the clutch, RPM drops down to zero, you put in second gear, you try it again. Okay. So that's the first major cycle of the sun. Okay. So one at 1,000 humans retreat to the caves, right? Those who survive, you do it again, right? You're at now 1,000 RPM, you start it over again, right? 2,000 RPM. You figure out different technology all along the way to get 9,000 RPM. You didn't figure it out yet. You slam in the clutch, RPM goes down to zero, you try it again. Okay. It's cycles and cycles of, of humans rising and falling. So my question then would be, well, who's driving that truck? Right? It's not the sun, right? Because the sun is causing, causing the mechanisms to happen. But mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say electricity is driving that truck because it's the electricity that is also magnetism. Magnetism is what determines the amount of energy that humans receive from the sun. Okay. As the sun's magnetic fields are in sync, right? As they're in harmony, the sun mm-hmm. produces a lot of heat, a lot of energy, right? Humans thrive. As they're out of sync, boom, RPM drops down to zero, recycle, reset, do it again. So who's driving that truck? Well, electricity is driving that truck. So my question then, therefore, would be, what is electricity? So my answer to that is, what if electricity is God? So we are made in the image of God. Right? Electricity is the most important thing in, in the entire universe. Right? On our fundamental level, our atoms are made of positively charged protons and negatively charged electrons. Right? Positive and negative are states of electricity, positive and negative. So I would argue that um, the states of matter, solid, liquid, and gas, right? well, the equivalent would be Electricity, energy, and magnetism are all the states of the entity that we call God. So on a quantum level, we're all made of the same exact things, right? The, this, this coffee cup sitting in front of me is made of the same particles that make my, my, my body, right? So, this, so what's interesting is this is absolutely coming full circle to the faith question. This explains yep. so much. I'm going to ask again, though, where do you fit in with this then? How so, so intersect my, with this. Yeah. So, so my goal is to take this complicated message that we've been talking about for for you know two hours now, and translate it into my articles that steers people towards a perspective of positivity, right? Because there's there's power. There's great, great, great power, unfathomable power in the the state of of just being positive. Right. So be positive. That being makes positive. Sense. Yeah. Right. So being positive is, in my opinion, being more godlike. Right. Because it's a positive and negative. It is, it is literally that black and white to me. So being positive and pushing a positive message is me trying to steer um you know, you know steer our, our 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 society, our culture, our species towards this this enlightened attitude. Uh, where we are all one, right? Once yeah. we solve, once we set our differences aside, then we can band together as a species and tackle this major problem that is brewing in the background, right? And the problem is 
of the sun's magnetic fields. That um, it's interesting. You're you're an evangelist. I mean, and I mean that in the sense of, again, not the way that it's used usually in American culture, but there's a born again sense of knowledge that you are that all of your writing is tied to that you are feathering into your work because you have a vision that you are trying to impart. Um, Absolutely. That's really, really interesting. Um, So I lied. I said I would have all the time in the world. And now, as you see, I've got a rogue eight-year-old running around who's going to go nuts. But um, dude, could not be more interesting. I'm super excited to see the article when it comes out. Tell everybody how they need to find you, how they need to follow you, where they need to go. And obviously, we'll link to all this in the show notes. But in case they're driving and don't want to crash the car, tell them where they need to go to find this stuff. Absolutely. So my my website, um, pretty simple. It's just my first name, last name, author. Uh, so scottchapmanauthor.com. And it's a S-C-O-T-T-C-H-A-P-M-A-N, scottchapmanauthor.com. Um, and they can find me on Instagram at uh, something very similar. It's um, at scottchapman.author. Um, and I, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, I've got a you know, small following, but I mean, it's not about the number of followers. It's about, you know, the, and the not message. For long. That, and not for yeah. long. <laughs> not for long. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled for every set of eyes that, that, that read anything I, I write. It's, 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 it's a fun experience. Um, so they can find me at my website, uh, uh, Instagram. I also have a Twitter that I only secured just so no one else steals my name. Um, but you can find me at Twitter at, um, um, oh, it's a, at Scott Chapman, ADV. Actually, I need to update that so maybe we can strike it. Um, Got you. But, uh, yeah, that's what yeah. it is, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, so pr- primarily it's my website um, or, or Instagram is where I'm most active. Um, to be continued, this is, uh, this has been great, man. It's been great getting to know the guy behind the articles. Um, so much of the content that you've been putting out on Instagram and, um, personally, I would love to start hearing more in-depth stuff on the stuff you've done, because I think where you're going, the message that you're trying to bring, it's a leap. There's no two ways about it. I mean, that was it's in-depth stuff. I think the context is going to be important. And for people, as you said, to get to know your brand and know you more um, so they can understand the message and understand where it's coming from. I think that'll be important. And I think, and I think you'll also, I think you've got some interesting stories to tell that we haven't even scratched the surface on. That'll be for another episode down the road, but I definitely would love to hear more both on the podcast form and in written form about your stateside security stuff, some of the stuff, whatever you're able to talk about from OGA uh, and more of the foreign policy stuff too, um, especially your take on some foreign events, countries, problem sets, risk assessments. I think there's a lot of stuff to mine there. Um, again, just to set the playing field for so much of where you want to go and where you want to take people. I think that's right. some rich, rich, rich subject matter. Um, thanks, man. Thanks for thank spending time with me. It's a blast. Thank you. I'm I, I'm I'm humbled for your for your time. Um, you know, giving someone your time, I think, is the most valuable thing you can give someone. So thank you for you know giving me what two hours now. Um, you know, two hours of your time. So thank you. I, I appreciate okay. it. It's been a pleasure, man. It's been a pleasure to be continued. Okay, thank you.
That was Scott Chapman's profile in Havoc. I had a lot of thoughts in the wake of this episode. You know, um, Scott was uh, a true gentleman for staying on as long as he did. Uh, it was a blast talking. I My brain was smoked. I did not do well in physics in high school. <clears throat> so revisiting all that now was a little bit much. Uh, but, uh, but it was a great time talking to somebody who clearly um, has so much enthusiasm for the subject. I think you guys, uh, hopefully you guys found that interesting. Really go to Scott's website because um, he's laid out stuff there and that will probably fill in some gaps uh, and substantiate some things or you might say not substantiate some things. I don't know. But go check that stuff out. Scott has compiled. He's put together a really nice website and he's compiled a lot of information and data there um, that will be of interest to you. So if you have questions, comments, snide remarks, <clears throat> go check out his website and you can Perhaps some of that, have some of that um, mitigated, assuaged, answered, what have you. Um, some of the thoughts I had in passing after this episode. It's funny, 2023. Well, let me back up. I remember in the early 90s when the BCCI scandal happened. <clears throat> you had the first World Trade Center bombing. You had Rodney King. You know, you had a lot of major events. I mean, as you do at any point in history, really. But um, you could kind of speculate on things, on root causes there. <clears throat> and uh, there weren't always the concern, the second and third order effects. You weren't concerned about the second and third order effects of the speculation. In this day and age, social media, what have you. Yeah, um, we got to watch what we say carefully and uh you know there's when we make accusations about things at one point scott said republicans and democrats are all criminals um you know and i kind of wanted to see where he was going with that thought so i didn't interrupt him right away and then we didn't have a chance to circle back i think i and i'm not gonna put words in scott's mouth i think he would agree that was hyperbolic and that you can point to specific criminal things perhaps with someone that's a Republican or a Democrat. Um, but I say that because when we got in, I personally was looking forward to the possibility when he brought up Epstein and having banned off Facebook and Twitter, I was like, hey, it's kind of, you know, I enjoy a good conspiracy theory. Like I think anybody that likes a good story does. Um, and obviously the more credible it could potentially be, the more interesting it is. Um, Unfortunately, in 2023, that kind of voyeurism can lead to deleterious second and third order effects, Pizzagate, what have you. So it's important to have your ducks in a row and um, I suppose be wise about what speculation you choose to indulge in. <clears throat> that said, I felt very comfortable indulging in speculation about Epstein because fuck, none of us know anything and it's fun to think about what that could be um how much of that needs to be a raging social concern um i don't know um i i tend to think not as much but um reasonable people i think can disagree on that anyway i say that because um i i respect the fact that scott didn't totally want to go there 
and that seems wise. Uh, but I did enjoy our little dalliance with that. Um, I hope you guys didn't mind the big edit um, about the Afghan stuff and all that made sense. Um, <clears throat> I think that's all I really have to say. Um, Scott should have stuff coming out on Havoc in the dangerously near future, so stay tuned for that. And um, yeah, this was a crazy one. This was a crazy one. Uh, very fun to go down rabbit holes of this depth and breadth when we have the opportunity. Okay. Um, things you should know. So we start off this episode by thanking this episode's first sponsor, Second Mission Foundation. Now I do you thank this episode's other sponsor, Veterans Repertory Theater, which, as you most of you know, is my nonprofit. For everything you want to know about Veterans Repertory Theater, please go to vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. While you're there, the best thing to do to find out everything we have going on, scroll a little bit down our homepage and subscribe. You'll see a button there to subscribe for free to our literary blog, which doubles as our mailing list. So when you subscribe for free, you will get in your email inbox every single day little snippet of veteran writing followed by a bunch of shameless plugs about whatever we have going on at that point in time. It's the We have so much going on all the time. It's truly the best way to stay up to date. Otherwise, I would talk incessantly or more incessantly than I currently do um, about everything we have going on. So go to vetrep.org and we would love to see you subscribe. We're almost up to 1,000 subscribers. I don't mind saying that. It's pretty cool. So appreciate your help in helping us get there. And uh, yeah, look forward to pushing out more and more content as time goes on. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think that's all I have to say on that. Yeah, vetrep.org. So we need to thank this episode's producer, Mike Neal. And I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Scott Chapman. And on behalf of everyone at Havoc Journal, we'll see you next time when we talk to another veteran for another profile in Havoc.